0: Pittsburgh Steelers fans, and it's time once again for another episode of Here We Go, the Steelers pregame show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. With me, as always, is my good friend Kevin Smith, the coach. And we are going to talk about the excitement surrounding the Pittsburgh Steelers beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers twenty to eighteen last week, and look forward to this week in Miami as the Brian Flores Revenge Tour, if that's really what it is. And even the Minka Revenge Tour happens. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Lots of great stuff going on, too, as they celebrate the 50th anniversary of the 1972 undefeated team. And the coach in the AFC Championship game opposite those Miami Dolphins in that season was Chuck Knoll. And do you remember Chuck Knoll used to wear this starter jacket late in his career in the 80s. It was really cool. It was like a black button-down jacket with the Steelers stripes on the side and the logo on there. We're giving one of those away. Yeah, it's a homage retro starter jacket from Starter. This is really cool. It retails for $145 and we can give it to you. Now, this is all you've got to do. Go back and listen, if you haven't already listened, to the Wednesday and Friday episodes of a Let's ride with jeff hartman that's let's ride and you can go ahead and answer those trivia questions get those clues the second clue was on the stat geek with dave schofield on thursday so check that episode out the third clue is today this morning actually it came out on let's ride and fourth clue is going to be later on in the show So make sure that you check that out. It will be the fourth and final clue. What you do when you get all the answers, the first correct answers, all four have to be correct. The first email that Jeff Hartman gets at bngblitz at gmail.com. That's b-n-g-b-l-i-t-z at gmail.com. Well, they're going to be the winner. And you're going to sport this really cool jacket. I almost quit just so I could... You will sign up for this, but they wouldn't let me. They're like, you wouldn't be allowed to win, anyways. So it's a really cool thing. Kevin, how you doing today, my friend?
1: oh all good. Just uh excited to talk about a a memorable Steelers win. I I, I was thinking, thinking back after the Steelers won on Sunday to like when's the last time that they won a game like that where you really didn't expect them expect them to win, and kind of had to rack my brain for a little bit. So. He, Excited to talk about that and uh, and then get ready for Miami.
0: You know, this is not a slight against Steeler fans, but I say this for myself. I've been spoiled because that's rare to have a 1-4 record to start a season. And I realized how much fun I had and how much excitement and how much it meant to me watching them pull out that game in the fashion that they did against a legend and Tom Brady who has owned them now it's 18 to 4 I'm hoping they could play him 14 more times before he retires and even that up at 18 a piece I don't think that's going to happen though Kevin I might be delusional
1: I don't think so I think Tom as great as he has been uh, looked very ordinary on on Sunday I mean he's 45 years old yeah I mean that's an outlandish accomplishment to be able to start football games in the NFL at age 45. And, you know, everybody understands the career he's had, but, you know, time is uh time catches up to everybody. And I, I think it's really kind of, I would, I'm not going to put the nail in his coffin just yet. Cause he is Tom Brady and he always seems to rise from the dead, but, but uh, he just, he didn't look like the Tom Brady we remember on Sunday.
0: Let me ask you this, because there's been some controversy over Tom Brady from last weekend because he went to a wedding. I have no problem going to a wedding. It doesn't matter who it is. That's your own time. But the fact that he didn't come back the next day has angered people in Tampa because kind of left his team behind for Saturday, wasn't there for practice. And then that tirade on the sidelines. Do you think with those 20-some-year-old players on his offensive line, listening to him yell and scream when they don't feel that he's accountable because he didn't show up, do you think that's lost on them? Do you think they're even listening anymore? That's a good question. I,
1: I really have a hard time with uh, guys missing practice time and not being around the team because I, I just think that, that chemistry is so important. And I never liked it when Ben Roethlisberger took off Wednesdays in practice. I just felt as though it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't just that he was missing. It was that like, you know, there's been a lot of complaining about the Steelers wide receivers and, oh, they're, they're not playing to their potential, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, All fair, all fair points. But like, I think back to those Wednesdays when, when they were catching passes from Mason Rudolph and, and other than like self-motivation, which, and we all want want elite athletes to be self-motivated, but other than the, the, than that, what's their incentive when they know that the guy who's going to be throwing them passes on Sunday isn't even there. I mean, it just feels to me as, as though like though that gave, that gave those guys a little bit of an opening to, to maybe not be at their best every single day of the week. They they didn't have that veteran presence. there holding them accountable. And I think that that's really important. And so if some of that has trickled into Tampa where, you know, Brady took off for a couple of weeks during training camp where he just wasn't there and, and now, you know, just missing a couple days out before this game. Uh I, I heard Ben Roethlisberger make a comment uh after the game where he said that he, he didn't he didn't feel like Brady looked like he wanted to be there, which I thought was an, an interesting comment. So uh, you know, I just he's going through a divorce and and uh you know he's he's certainly thinking about his life after football. So it it doesn't seem like he's got the laser focus he once had.
0: No, it seems like another divorce is going to happen between Tom Brady and the Tampa fan base. I, you could actually feel that storm coming. I would have loved to have listened to Tampa Bay radio this week. I'm sure I could have found some, but you know, Does, that, Tampa,
1: have, does Tampa have a fan base, Brian? Is that a thing? <laughs> Is there like a Bucs nation that we don't know about? Or I, th-
0: I think there's one retirement home, you know, <laughs> you know, somewhere near, near Kissimmee. I know that's close to Orlando, but I'm still saying that. I'm going with that. You know, let's not talk about Tom Brady. Let's talk about that win. And where do you feel that the Steelers won this game? What point? Was it from the get-go? I think there were two
1: key elements to that. First of all, from the get-go, they they did an awfully lot of creative things with their uh, fronts in order to figure out how to get pressure on Brady with four guys. They, they, everybody expects you to uh, create confusion for a quarterback with your secondary and, and what you do with your coverages by disguising them and moving around after the snap and, and things like that. And, yeah, that's a common way to do it. But what the Steelers did on Sunday against Tampa is they messed around with their pre-snap looks in order to confuse Tampa's offensive line and were able to free some rushers up and get some good matchups so that they could put pressure on Brady with just four guys and not have to blitz, which, you know, has always been a recipe for disaster against Tom Brady. Um, And, and I thought that that was really the, uh, a huge element of their victory just being able to uh, you know, that's a pretty good Tampa Bay offensive line and, and to be able to pressure Brady and make him uncomfortable. I mean, how many throws did you see Brady like just short hop his receivers or, or, the ball came in really low. The biggest reason for that was because he couldn't really step into his throws. I mean, he had Larry Ogunjobi and Cam Hayward in his face all day long. Those two had absolutely monster games, which was wonderful. So I think that that was one thing, what they did uh, on defense. And then, you know, the other thing was, you know, Mitchell Trubisky to the rescue and, and we'll certainly talk about that uh, later in the show.
0: Well, let me ask you this. We're, we're going to continue with the defense first. You talked about Ogan Joby, and just a week ago I'm reading how fans were not happy with his performance whatsoever. I thought, you know, that was his best game last week, but I thought he's been solid all along. And then a guy like Malik Reed who people were complaining about, I thought Malik Reed had a pretty good game. He almost had a sack there. I thought he had a sack there. And he was really excited. You can see that he has bought in to the system. You saw that Miles Jack, people have been complaining about Miles Jack just because the defense has not been doing well. He's leading with tackles by 23 on the Steelers. And he is here, there, and everywhere. And he also made it so much easier for Devin Bush to be comfortable. And Devin Bush is playing better football. A lot of people still don't want to believe that. But... Without Devin Bush, there are a couple plays, especially that two point conversion that was made that was not made by Tampa Bay and that stop was made by Bush that was absolutely huge. Can this become a defense by committee now where you're getting a little bit from everybody? It doesn't have to be a juggernaut, but without TJ Watt, they finally got a win, Kevin.
1: Well, that was interesting because it really was a, a, a defense by committee missing TJ Watt, but also missing Minka Fitzpatrick and their top three corners. And they understood that they really had to continue to throw a bunch of different looks at Tampa. And that may be a recipe going forward, even when they get all those guys back that, that you know, they, they can't just rely on TJ Watt to, uh, you know, give them 22 sacks. They're going to have to figure out how to free up other guys and get them to the ball. One thing we, we learned about Joby is uh, when, when you move them, when you, when you stun them and slant them and, uh, you know, get him on the move. He's really good. He's quick off the ball, man. I mean, really quick off the ball, and um, that may be something that they discovered, uh, kind of accidentally uh, or, or at least out of necessity on Sunday. And, and maybe we'll see some more of that. Um, it's a shame that they, that Demarvin Leal's on the shelf for a little bit because I think he's another guy, movement wise, who who you can get a lot out of. But we may just see the Steelers get take a little bit of a different approach with their with their defensive line until Watt comes back. Uh, and in the secondary, you know, uh, they rotated guys. When you look at the snap counts, uh, they they played a bunch of different guys. They they realized that none of those corners were good enough for them to line up every play out there against Tampa's wide receivers that it, eventually the, the Bucks would get a beat on what they were doing and, and Brady would take advantage. And so smartly, the Steelers rotated those corners constantly so that none of them were out there long enough really to be exposed. And maybe that becomes an approach too. You know, maybe the Steelers found – a little bit of depth at corner or at least enough depth so that guys can get a couple of reps here and there uh, and then, and then come off the field and the Steelers can throw a lot of different looks at teams.
0: As far as the defense goes to me, when you lose Minka Fitzpatrick and you lose your top three corners, Wallace Witherspoon and Sutton, that's unprecedented. I don't think I've ever seen that in the history of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So with this being a win, you still had you still had major players out there, Terrell Edmonds, Hayward, of course, Highsmith. You you had some players out there, but with that secondary, that's going to be the most improbable win I've ever seen because of the lack of personnel on defense. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I in the column that I write for the website after each game, you know, at the end of the of the one um, the preceding game the debacle in Buffalo, I wrote in, in, at the end of that column that I just had a sneaky suspicion that the Steelers could win in Tampa Bay. And that, you know, that article came out or against Tampa Bay, and that article came out like almost immediately. But as the week went on, I just thought to myself, you're nuts. There's you know, let, let's, let's be honest. Let's look at Tom Brady's numbers against the Steelers and let's look at what, what he's working against right now. And I just, you know, just backtracked on that little prediction and took the safe bet and said, you know, Hey, Tampa's going to beat them. Uh, But I think what the Steelers did is, you know, they 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 kind of got out of the way in which they'd been thinking the approach that they'd been taking. And they understood we just don't have enough talent on paper right now to beat Tampa. So we're going to have to reinvent ourselves. We're going to have to basically take things that Tom Brady believes we're going to do and that he'll be prepared for. Uh, and do things differently. And it's hard to do that every single week in the NFL or, or at any level of football. You have, you have to have enough consistency so that your players can execute well. But I think the thing that I was so surprised at and pleasantly surprised is that for all of that upheaval and that change and for the Steelers having taking such a different approach on defense, they executed really well, especially their tackling. I thought, they, I thought that's one of the best games I saw the Steelers tackle In a long, long time. I mean, how many third down stops were there where Tampa receivers caught the ball short of the sticks and Steelers defenders dropped them? Uh, We've seen plenty of instances in the past where those receivers make a guy miss and they run for the first down and drive gets extended. And that just didn't happen. So so I thought their fundamentals were phenomenal on Sunday. And that's a really encouraging sign going forward.
0: I really thought it was a phenomenal coaching job by Mike Tomlin and his team, especially on defense. Let's switch over to the offense right now. When we're talking about coaching, I still did not love the play calling, but they got the win. So, you you know, you really can't you know drown a guy on that one after they get a win. But when you look at this team on offense, did it take a step forward last week? Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, the offensive line gets better every week, and as far as the play calling goes, it's really easy. I think to to criticize Matt Canada right now, and he deserves a lot of it. There's no question about that. It would be uh, you know silly of me to stand up stand here and defend him uh, for his body of work so far. But for the second week in a row, he scripted a really creative uh, opening drive where the Steelers did a lot of good things, and unlike previous weeks. He eventually now took him, you know, two quarters. But he eventually made some adjustments and saw some things in, uh, you know, what Tampa was doing that he was able to take advantage of. And one of the biggest things was attacking the middle of the field in the passing game. He just got more aggressive, which was which was good. Pittsburgh had been so conservative in their passing game, and. Uh, you know, they, they, they threw the ball in the middle of the field. I mean, the the two biggest drives of the game, the drive where they score the touchdown to go ahead 20 to 12 and the drive uh, after Tampa scores make a 2018, where they run the clock out. Some of the biggest plays they made were down the middle of the field. And I thought the smartest move that Canada made was uh, to go hurry up on, on that third and five play on the touchdown drive, where they caught Tampa subbing personnel and they immediately went hurry up and hit. Connor Hayward for a big play. So while well, well, the overall body of work uh, in terms of his play calling still leaves a bit to be desired, he just he just hits these lulls where he scripts a good opening drive, the defense makes an adjustment, and he can't quite figure out how to counter their adjustment, and it takes him a while to catch up. He caught up eventually, and uh, and thankfully it was just in time.
0: Mitch Trubisky had a fantastic game coming off the bench. You know, this is something that has been the narrative all week that, remember, quarterbacks are better coming off the bench, backups are, than they are starting a game. And I think that's something that we should remember. Has Mitch cemented himself as a fantastic option for the Steelers at number two?
1: Well, one one of the reasons for that is they do it practice all the time. I mean, in practice, you, you rarely uh get you know get starters reps uh, and the starters probably take 90% of the reps and then all of a sudden the backup comes in and gets you know that that last 10% and he's got to, he's got to go in well things have already been established and when he comes in it sort of changes the rhythm and it changes the approach etc and sometimes that works against the defense um he he's he's certainly a a solid number 2 there's no question about that whether he can now do it uh as the starter when the opposing defense has an opportunity to prepare for him remains to be seen. I don't know if he will. It looks like Kenny Pickett's going to start against, uh, against Miami. So we may not see Mitchell Trubisky again as a starter, but I would like to see this when, when he does get in the game, uh, you know, stay aggressive. I mean, I mean, let, let him be a guy who plays like he's got nothing to lose because I, I thought, I thought that Mitchell Trubisky for the first couple of games played tight played looking over his shoulder, played ultra conservative, terrified to make a mistake because he might get hooked. And a lot of times when you're playing not to fail, you fail because you're not playing to win. And that Trubisky we saw on against Tampa was playing to win. And Canada scripted to win. So you know I'd like him to stay aggressive with Kenny Pickett too. I mean it may, take the take the reins off the QBs a little bit. Let him Let them throw the ball down the field. Let them uh, get deeper into the playbook. And if they make mistakes, they make mistakes, but at least you're being aggressive while you're doing it.
0: So, Kevin, what we're going to do right now is we are going to go ahead and take a break. But before we do that, let's go ahead and give our trivia question. This is for the Homage Retro Starter Jacket, that old Chuck Knoll style. It's $145 retail, and it is going to be yours for absolutely free. And I'm really excited about this. So it's going to be from the Steelers Dolphins history. If you've noticed, that's what the other clues were. This is the final clue. So as soon as you hear this and are able to answer this question, email Jeff Hartman at bngblitz at gmail.com. That's emailing us here at Behind the Steel Curtain. And Jeff will go ahead and find that. And the first one to email him wins this jacket. So all you have to do is be able to answer this question. And it's a really good one. Dan Marino passed for 411 yards against the Steelers in the 1994 AFC Championship game. But that is not the regular season record. That is a record for passing against the Pittsburgh Steelers all time for the Dolphins. But what Dolphins quarterback threw for the most yards? That's 344 against Pittsburgh in a regular season game. That's a good one. That's a tough one. You might not even know that this guy played for the Dolphins, but he, he did. And it's a guy that a lot of people know. So here we go. Make sure you answer that question. Send it in to Jeff, and we are going to have a winner. I hope it's you. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll be back right after this. We are going to discuss more about the offense. We're going to discuss the big weekend against Miami and the Steelers' chances to win the whole thing this weekend. I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl this weekend. I'm just saying to win this game and get closer to fine at three and four. And remember, they were three and four back in 1995 and ended up going to the Super Bowl. Like I said, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but... Just like in Dumb and Dumber, there's always a chance. We'll be right back, right after this. You won't look my way. Oh, come on, girl. I to so mean. Ain't the worst looking man you've ever seen. And there I am on the subway train. Yeah, the subway train. That's Jerry Cherry Band. That is a great song called Worst Looking Man. And two of the uh, finest looking guys on the subway train. They're not B.A.D. and K.T. Smith, but uh, they're out there somewhere. So uh, if you're looking, keep looking because uh, we've got rings. We're happy. (laughs) (laughs) Got to work with with what you got, Brian. Yeah. Speaking of rings, this is a big weekend for the Miami Dolphins as they are going to celebrate. One of the last times that they got rings, not the last time, but they are celebrating 17 and zero. the 1972 Miami dolphins who beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC championship game. Those guys are going to be in South beach to be celebrated at halftime in prime time. That's a big thing for the fans. I don't think that really transfers over to the players at all. Does it KT?
1: No, you know, emotion like that ceremonies like that, it, It'll probably last a little bit, you know, that the adrenaline will be pumping and all the old guys will be there and high-fiving everybody on the sideline and and they'll want to honor those guys. But honestly, you get a couple minutes into the game, the adrenaline wears off and then it just gets down to X and O's and execution.
0: And speaking of executions and X's and O's, a guy that knows a lot about the X's and O's coming back to South Beach, it's Brian Flores with the Steelers.
1: Yeah. You know, Brian Flores hasn't really left South beach. When you look at Miami's defense, I mean, they're still running a lot of the same stuff that he did. Their philosophy is still the same. Uh, I mean, they're just, they're playing so much man coverage right now. I mean, they're just daring teams to beat them uh, at, you know, out of man and and take shots down the field. And this will be an interesting week for, uh, for Matt Canada too, because he just has seemed to be a little bit more comfortable scheming against zone defensive looks. So It'll be interesting to see uh, what he wants to do against all the man looks that Miami gives him, and it'll be—you know—we I, I, won't know the answer to this, but I would love to know if he's leaning on Brian Flores this week uh, at, to get some insights into that Miami defense, since they still are playing some of Flores' schemes down there, and and you know, picking his brain about you know how, how, what what gave you trouble, you know, what what are some things that that uh, you hated to see. And we'll see if the Steelers incorporate some of that stuff into their uh, script this week.
0: Yeah, I would think those guys would be, uh, you know, sharing a couple steaks at uh, Ruth Chris. If, if that's still there, I think that's still there. <laughs> Great steakhouse, by the way. Um, you know, I, I think they, they would be uh, getting together, talking about this. But the scheme is an interesting thing because Tua came out today and he said, you know, look, you know, glad to see him back. Haven't seen him in a while. Um he was cordial you know they didn't always have the best relationship he said but this is this is Mike's defense offense now it's uh, their head coach's offense now mike mcdaniels and you know we're doing his scheme so the looks aren't the same so it's not going to give the steelers an advantage but he's doing some great things with that defense over there
1: yeah well so mcdaniels you know he's coming out of the the san francisco coaching tree uh you know the Kyle Shanahan outside zone play action uh you know he likes all that stuff i mean to uh uh previously when flores was the head coach was you know with some offensive coordinators who who had him running a ton of rpos and i and i think that it was something that probably slowed down his mental process and he's probably much better equipped for uh you know like a, an outside a wide zone where he can use his movement to get the defense moving and then you kind of boot off of it and get him into some more space and let him be a little bit more decisive and he seems to have, have uh you know be doing well right now um but this is an offensive scheme that Miami runs that puts a lot of pressure on the linebackers because it's such a horizontal stretch offense they're going to stretch the offense sideline to sideline so the Steelers have to be able to run uh they got to be gap conscious you know like devin bush occasionally has a has trouble over pursuing his gaps meaning like if he's if he's got to fill the 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 A or B gap, he'll get over top and and be washed out to the C gap and give up a big cutback lane. Like he's gonna have to be gap disciplined. Same thing with Miles Jack. Uh Jack's a little better at seeing like a, a seam and hitting it than than Bush is. So I'm kind of looking for Miles Jack to have a, a good game with some with some splash plays. You may you may see Miles Jack get some run throughs on those outside zone plays and some tackles for a loss. Uh but the big thing you know with the outside zone scheme and, and the boot stuff that comes off of it is like you got to keep Tua in the pocket. When he boots and gets outside the pocket, he's he's a problem because obviously he's mobile, but you know, he, he throws ball well on the run. So it'd be really interesting to see how the Steelers scheme that. It's a it's a it's the kind of uh week where you need to be exceptionally disciplined on defense, especially on the backside of plays. Cause if you're over aggressive, McDaniels will punish you for that, you know. So I think it's a really interesting scheme matchup this week, you know. Uh this Terrell Austin and the Steelers defense with, with the input from Flores against a, a wide zone play action offense.
0: Is the Flores factor a big deal though?
1: I don't, you know, I don't know. It's a really good question. I mean, we haven't heard a lot of Brian Flores since the season started, you know, there hasn't been a lot of talk about his role. I mean, there was certainly a lot before the season. Um, I mean, I would think, I would think that given what transpired in Miami, Uh, with Flores and how much the Steelers defensive players profess to, to love playing for him, that the Steelers would be highly motivated to, you know, kind of go down to Miami and, and kind of help avenge him in a a way. And that might be a little dramatic, but I mean, I think they're going to play hard for him. And I think he's going to have some input in, in what they do this week. And I expect a really good effort from the Steelers.
0: All right, so last thing about the coach that we, the coaches that we were talking about, I just got to say this: if there is a San Francisco coach out there that's looking for a head coaching job, grab them because there is a couple of guys that have come from the Niner system recently. We just talked three weeks ago about Robert Sala, who's now with the New York Jets, and now McDaniel's. I think they're fantastic. I these are guys that are are kind of reviving the uh, they're they're breathing a breath of fresh air into the coaching ranks and i like both of these guys mcdaniels is a character he's got a crazy story man he never even played football you know
1: like he he was uh he was a guy that you know was into stats and and loved the scheme and the game and and all but he never he never played and uh you know his press conferences i mean that's must-see material man you never know what what that guy's going to say in his press conferences and uh, you know, the head coach in Minnesota came from that same, that same coaching tree. And it, you know, it's all, it's the Shanahan McVeigh tree. I mean, those guys were together and, uh, when Shanahan kind of branched off of that, they, they have, um, you know, like you said, man, they've spawned a lot of young promising coaches in the league and their you know, their, their offense the again, the wide zone play action offense was in vogue for, for a while there. Um, But now teams have kind of moved away from it a little bit as defenses have started to catch up. So, you know, the NFL is a copycat league. You do something well, somebody, somebody's going to copy it. Uh, Eventually defenses or offenses are going to adjust and catch up. And then, and the new thing's going to come in. So I think we're kind of waiting on the new thing. The RPO game is, has taken over, Uh, you know, the league, everybody's running them. College schemes are are prevalent all throughout the league. I'm even seeing high school schemes. I mean, there was uh, an analyst, I can't remember who it was, Um, but it was one of the big guys, like one of the big ESPN guys. And he said, oh, I've never seen counter run like this before. It was a counter play. And uh, somebody on Twitter was like, every high school coach in America knows that this is wing T Sally. And it's just just a play that every high school coach in America has seen for years and years and years, the old wing T Sally play. And I saw an NFL team run it. And I was like, man, the NFL, they're, they're running wing T schemes. So it's really fascinating. We start talking about the scheme battle because uh, it's almost like fashion, you know, like the, you know, the certain fashions come back and they and they get a modern like sort of touch on them. But they're just sort of taking the old and making it new again. And that that happens a lot with
0: scheme in the NFL really interesting stuff thanks for saying all of that that you know i think jeffrey benedict's excited now because he didn't play football but that guy loves his x's and o's and film he might be the next head coach tell
1: jeffrey he's got a shot man tom has probably you know got another seven eight ten years who knows and then jeffrey will be primed to go
0: (laughs) there you go we i don't want to lose him here but i mean yeah we'll, we'll take him in the nfl i think that would be uh well, a little more than a lateral move. <laughs> if, if
1: Jeffrey gets to be the head coach, then BTSC will finally get some access to the Steelers, you know? Yeah, we'll that's, it, Some insider stuff.
0: I'm still hoping for you, man.
1: Oh, uh, well, you know. <laughs> I mean, if, if Jeffrey gets hired he doesn't give me a call, I'll be pissed. I, I'll
0: <laughs> hey, let's talk a little bit about beating the Dolphins. You just talked a little bit about what they need to do on defense to stop Tua and stop that offense where they need to do on offense and we got to talk about this offense because the running game is continuing to struggle we saw some maturity with the pass catchers um hardly i don't even think there were drops chase Claypool was seven for seven you know you gotta like what you saw on offense is this a maturing offense
1: well, you liked what you saw for certain stretches in the game. I mean, the opening drive was great—eleven plays, 66 yards, touchdown. Looks fantastic. And then the next six drives, they went 31 plays for 59 total yards, not even two yards of play. Absolutely awful. And then they caught fire again uh, at the end of the third and and into the in the fourth quarter. So, so they got to be able to avoid those lulls where the, where they just kind of disappear on offense for long stretches and puts a ton of pressure on the defense but against miami this week the thing they really need to do is they got to have an answer for the man coverage because if they don't then the dolphins are going to lock them down in man they're going to play cover one and cover zero they're going to get an extra guy in the box uh and snuff out the the run game and it's going to look like it looked in 2019 and 2020 and so that's the pressures on canada this week to script stuff um to beat man coverage i mean you know one of the things i liked when i when i looked at the film from last week is he got into a lot of bunch sets and bunch sets are great against man coverage because you force the defense to kind of stagger you run a lot of picks and rubs a lot of crossing routes there's there's receivers in a tightly compressed area that when the ball is snapped are breaking you know all sorts of different directions high low in out et cetera uh, and it puts a lot of pressure on the on the man coverage guys to stay with them uh you know canada already does a ton of Shifts and motions, and that's usually helpful against man coverage. Get get defenders moving one way and bring receivers back across their face, and those types of things. And then, you know, I don't know. Maybe you can tell me, give me an update. I haven't seen an update on Pat Fryer with his availability, but he's a matchup problem. And if he's healthy, then I think that you know they need to lean heavily on him.
0: Well, according to the injury report that came out on Thursday, the new one for today is not out yet. We will have to wait a few hours for that one but everybody was a full participant with the exception of james pierre so when you're looking at that we see that uh Frymuth has that fp next to his name the only one that had an lp once again was was pierre but you would almost assume that he's out of the protocol but you still practice fully when you're in the protocol so yeah. That's just, that's basically based on how they're looking as far as, you know, how that heads healing from a couple weeks ago. Kenny Pickett, same thing. I mean, Kenny Pickett's a full participant and it looks like he's going to play, but Mike Tomlin's explicit words on Tuesday were if he is medically cleared. So one is probably going to assume that both of these guys are going to play, but until they're medically cleared, you don't know. Right. So uh,
1: in a way, that almost works to the Steelers' advantage because Miami's got to prepare for both quarterbacks and they have to look at what the Steelers have done. There's a decent body of work for both of those guys right now, and, and uh, I think that may help them. Of course, on the flip side, the Steelers are in the same boat defensively when because you know they're not 100% sure that, uh, you know, Tua is going to start at quarterback for Miami. I mean, that, it looks like he is, but there's, hasn't been a, a definitive statement about that. So you, you, you kind of have to prepare for Teddy Bridgewater as well. Uh It just makes a little extra work, puts a little extra work on your, on your plate. But, um, but I mean, back to, to Fryermuth, I, mean, I think that Fryermuth is um made for these man-to-man situations. He just is so good at using his body to shield off defenders and, if you get him matched up against a safety, I mean Miami's got a couple of good safeties in Brandon Jones and Javon Holland, and they're you know they're they're good uh, tacklers and, and good cover guys, but neither one of them is is very big. And that at, at 6'5", 250 is just going to be a load to cover. So if they want to play a lot of that uh, cover one cover zero stuff, I think that he's got to be a guy the Steelers lean on.
0: Okay, let's talk about the running game real quick. They haven't had much of a running game. Is that going to be a problem?
1: I mean, it'll be a problem if 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 they get good looks to run and can't run the ball. I mean, if if they don't get good looks to run, let's say Miami's playing cover zero and got an extra guy in the box, then they then don't run the ball. You're not you're not going to be able to run against those looks. Um, I don't want to see Canada just say, "Well, we're going to run for the sake of establishing the run." I mean, if you're if you're trying to run the ball into defenses that are plus one in the box, then you're spitting into the wind. So, so. But if Miami plays them, you know, in some cover two, uh, or if if the Steelers are able to sort of spread the field and get like five on five or even six on six in the box, they got to be able to run the ball against those looks. You know, so I think the key is this: when you get looks that you can run the ball against, you have to be able to run the ball uh, because if you can't, then you're you're really hamstrung. So, so that'll be a really interesting thing to see. What that really comes down to is how well is the offensive line executing? Because I think Najee Harris. Probably didn't, you know, he didn't really have his legs under him when the season started, but he's starting to run harder and and sort of see things a little bit better. There just haven't been a lot of holes. Um, you know, and there hasn't been a lot of room for him to run. So, so it'll it'll fall on the Steelers offensive line to be able to, you know, kind of move Miami's front off the ball.
0: All right. Here's a very interesting question. And it's going a little bit away from the game. We know how important the wide receivers are to this team when they're when they're on their game. So here's a question. Green Bay comes calling with a high enough pick that you really can't pass it up. Who do you trade? Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson?
1: I think Deontay Johnson's more easily replaceable with with what the Steelers do. Um, I think that, you know, I mean, he's the backside receiver in a lot of their stuff. And that's, you know, often where you put your best guy. But I think George Pickens can slide into that role pretty seamlessly and he's a different type of receiver than Deontay Johnson. He's not quite the quick twitch guy that Deontay Johnson is. But I think the Steelers route tree with their current quarterback situation is almost built a little bit better for what George Pickens does. Um, whereas, you know, I mean, you you can certainly trade Cl- Chase Claypool and a lot of Steelers fans will be happy about that if you get a good offer for it. Not uh, me. I, what's that? Not me. No, no? How come?
0: I just think that uh, when he finally comes alive, I know it's been uh, – he came alive in his rookie year. He had that that slump when he still performed in his second year. I just think he's starting to really figure things out right about now, and I think he can be very dangerous on this team. I would be – I agree with you more that Johnson's a whole lot more replaceable.
1: Yeah, and I agree with you on, on Claypool because I think that the the – skill set he has uh, is just hard to find. And if they can figure out how to make him more consistent and how exactly they want to use him, I think that they really have the makings for something special, you know, where with Pickens on one side, Claypool playing the Z off the ball, and then you know they've got some decent slot candidates. They can they can bump Claypool inside when they want him to, to play in the slot. Uh, Steven Sims seems to be a guy who who's got some potential in there. If they want to use Miles Boykin, I mean, he's a guy that I think again is another big receiver. Can you, I mean, try to defend the Steelers' receivers when you have, you know, six foot three George Pickens split out on one side, six foot four Chase Claypool in the slot, six foot four Miles Boykin as the Z receiver, and six foot five Pat Fryer with the tight end. I mean, that's a problem. Um, So you know, and then you know, you can sub out and bring in a little quick guy like a Sims. Um, so I, you know, again, I'm not trying to write Deontay Johnson off at, at, by any stretch. I'm just saying that if the, if they got an offer that was really, really appealing, he'd probably be the guy I'd favor moving.
0: What's the lowest pick that you would take for a receiver right now?
1: Um, but it's gotta be real. It's gotta be a good offer, man. It's gotta, you know, you gotta have at least a third round pick in there. Um, because they don't need to move any of these guys you know like there's not a need to move any a receiver in pittsburgh there's not an a glaring need for them to say oh my we're so desperately in need of picks that you know we're going to kind of unload these guys so you know the steelers are are operating from sort of the the power position on on these deals and if green bay's desperate enough or some other team's desperate enough they need to you know come strong with their offer
0: It's not going to be a number one, probably not going to be a number two, but if it is, you just jump and you you say, hey, thanks for all you do, but we're going to take that pick, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I would do that for sure. But, you know, I really hate to see Chase go because I know a lot of people have been down on him. I thought they were still down on him, talking about him being trash, and I thought he was not at all in that Buffalo game. I thought I was, you know, more depressed about, what Deontay Johnson was doing. And then we go ahead and look at what he did in this game. I just thought he was absolutely what the Steelers need if he could continue to do that. So here's a question for you now as we go back towards this game in Miami. If you just have a decent, a good performance from the Steelers' offense and the same thing from the defense, is it scheme that's going to win it or lose it?
1: So, the thing about the Steelers scheme is i I think that they can give themselves a good opportunity to win by obviously having a good plan and knowing where to attack. But the bigger thing will be execution. and And the Steelers, if I can double back for a second on Claypool, I think that the Steelers have to be able to say to themselves, "We can get more out of him. You know we can help him execute better. We can coach him up uh, and help him improve and get to where he needs to be. i I, I don't think last year they had the right position coach for the young group of receivers that they had. Uh, I just think that, that I kill wasn't demanding enough and you can kind of see in all the pre-snap penalties and kind of sloppy play that they had, that they needed somebody who's a little bit more of a taskmaster. And I think Frisman Jackson is that guy. And so if I'm the Steelers, I'm going to, I'm going to say, let's give chase Claypool a little more time with Frisman Jackson to see if he can develop him. And and, you know, turn him into the player we believe him to be or to use Mike Tomlin's words. Let's not run from coaching. Let's run to coaching. Let's coach this guy up. And so when I think about Sunday in Miami, I mean, scheme will certainly be important. But will the Steelers have coached their players up in a way that has them ready for the game like they like they were ready last week? I mean, again, we looked at their execution last week. The tackling on defense was excellent. Uh, the pass catching was really good. They just executed better last week, and that's a product of, of coaching. So I put that on the coaching staff this week. You know, coach the players up, put them in the right positions to succeed just as much as you as you devise the scheme.
0: Excellent. So what is your prediction? Last week, I waffled. I made a prediction that the Steelers were going to win 23-20 to 20 on the preview. Then when I found out everybody was off of the offensive <laughs> uh was not going to play on on defense excuse me I decided to uh go ahead and change dramatically and I took Tampa Bay and so I have to stick with that as my pick I screwed up even though I had the inclination early that I was going to pick the Steelers where are you going to go this week
1: I'm going to pick the Steelers this week. I, I, I think last week could have potentially been a little bit of a, a turning point for this team. The, confidence is a funny thing, yeah, even amongst professionals. And I think maybe the Steelers got some confidence. And Miami's on a three-game losing streak. And and let's be honest, Miami could easily be one in five. I mean, it's two of their wins. The one against Buffalo was a toss-up game. And then the, the one against uh, Baltimore was a miracle game where they trailed by 13 points with less than two minutes to go and somehow came back and won. So. So, I, you know, I don't I don't know if Miami's as strong as, as maybe some people kind of thought they were early on in the season. So, you know,
0: let's go Steelers, man. I'm picking them. There's plenty of guys that we could pick for dude of the week. Who are you thinking?
1: Who do you have? Because I think we might have the same person.
0: I actually have Mike Tomlin. Ooh, we do not. But I like your choice better than mine. <laughs> but I would have probably gone if I'm going a player. It's a toss-up between Chase Claypool and Terrell Edmonds.
1: Yeah, I would have had Claypool because I just thought that it was such an important game for him, uh, both in terms of how it affected that particular game, but also in terms of just his own confidence and and really just sort of getting him back into the conversation as a guy uh, you know that the Steelers think can be an impact player. So huge week for him. But yeah, man, I mean, tell me about Tomlin because I love that choice.
0: I just I just think that when the chips were down. This was one of the biggest coaching jobs I've ever seen from the Pittsburgh Steelers because there's no way, when we talked about this earlier in the show, you don't win when you have your top three corners and your all-pro defensive back, your all-pro safety out. That's And you still have your all-pro defensive player of the year out. With all of those guys out and everybody that was suspect, he, he did run to it. You know, so I, I loved it. I mean, I think the passion and everything came from him and I I love it. I, I got to give him his props because he's been taking a lot of heat, but to me, that's a coaching job to have those guys ready for Tom Brady, no matter what Tom Brady you're getting, but for Tom Brady and a good team like the Buccaneers.
1: Yeah, that's a good, that's a good
0: choice. Let's go with Mike. Let's give it to Mike. All right. Remember. But I I don't mind having co guys, so we'll, we'll we'll
1: dangle it out there for Chase Claypool, right? We'll 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 incentivize him to you know to to win another one.
0: All right, yeah, he's calling me right now. He's oh, is uh, good? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, I'll, so I'll, hey, I'll, listen, I'll... buddy,
1: I mean, you were good, but not good enough. You
0: know? All right, yeah, <laughs> get, keep on going, keep on yeah. going. All right. With that being said, it's time for us to get on out of here, Kevin. It's been a great week. What do you have going on this weekend?
1: Uh, we got a game uh our homecoming game uh tonight friday night and then my son's peewee game on sunday morning that's always exciting i love i love me some peewee football man you want know, you you tell you what you you'll never know what you're going to get never know you <laughs> that's know?
0: awesome yeah, are you like
1: you, the... you might get tears you might get celebrations you might spend the whole day tying shoes you just don't know what's gonna happen
0: <laughs> are you the head coach too
1: no oh god no 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 i don't I don't want <laughs> One, one of
0: those is enough, you know? <laughs> now, do you go to the homecoming game? I mean, uh, no, I'm sorry. I know you go to the homecoming game. You're coaching it. You go to the homecoming dance. Are you were chaperone? Oh,
1: oh, God, I've left
0: those days long behind me. <laughs> you know, like, that's,
1: that's punishment now, man. The whole idea of having to go watch, you know, like a whole bunch of sweaty teenagers dance together is, is punishment for me right now.
0: Yeah, seeing Zach Wilson do the gritty a couple of weeks ago is enough. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You, speaking of which, do you ban the gritty from your team?
1: uh i mean we were not real big on end zone celebrations go celebrate <laughs> go celebrate with your teammates that's our that's our big thing we I love we it. actually believe it or not i mean this will tell you how crazy coaches are we practice celebrations you know like when we score in practice you know we'll, we'll have a period like where we're you know getting down to the red zone or whatever and we tell our running backs you know finish everything in the end zone and then the last play we make sure that all the linemen run down there and that they all celebrate together because it it does uh yeah you, you do have to kind of teach them like don't mimic everything you see from these nfl guys you know i'm I, i'm definitely afraid that one day the whole team will run bo- down there and they'll have some choreographed routine where whole, you know the the guy who scored a bowl the ball and then all 10 <laughs> lines and they'll all fall down like bowling pins you know look like idiots.
0: <laughs> i love it man i tell you what i'd love to spend a week in that locker room that's that's hilarious <laughs> All right, let's get on out of here. For Kevin Smith, my name is Brian Anthony Davis. This has been another fun edition of Here We Go, the Steelers pregame show. It's almost game time, so get ready for a good one as the Steelers travel to Miami Monday night, the return of Brian Flores, the return of Tua, and hopefully the return the prominence of the Pittsburgh Steelers. For Kevin, I'm bad, and keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the hypocycloids. Well said.